I think, to most of us. And the verse that I want to use tonight, uh, I think especially is familiar to us, but there's something about it that caught my attention today, and I want to try to tell you what I feel like God is saying to the church. Amen. Amen. Judges chapter 16 and beginning with verse 16, and it came to pass when she pressed him daily with her words. This is Delilah and Samson. She pressed him daily with her words and urged him so that his soul was vexed unto death, that he told her all his heart and said unto her, there hath not come a razor upon mine head. For I have been a Nazarite unto God from my mother's womb. If I be shaven, then my strength will go from me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called for the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up this once, for he hath showed me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up unto her and brought money in their hand. And she made him sleep upon her knees, and she called for a man, and she caused him to shave off the seven locks of his head. And she began to afflict him, and his strength went from him. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, He said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. He said, I'm just going to do what I've always done. It's always worked and it'll work again. I'm going to do what I've been doing, and once again, I'll be victorious. But the sad commentary on it all is this last sentence, and he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. He wist not that the Lord was departed from him. I want to preach to you tonight for just a little while on this thought, the missing dimension. The missing dimension. Praise God. Would you put your Bibles down? Would you pray? I really need the help of the Lord tonight. I need the touch of the Holy Ghost and you do too. Amen. Let's pray together, everyone. Lord, in Jesus' name. Come on, let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. Let's praise the Lord. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Praise God, praise God, praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. The story of Samson is wonderful and tragic. The story of Samson is a story of victory, and yet it is a story of bondage. It's a story of a man who had tremendous potential. And yet I am convinced that the magnitude of his potential was never really realized. And I believe there's a reason for all of that. Amen. And I, I want to talk to you about it tonight. Look, when you look at Samson, he was like very, very few others. There were many men that judged Israel during this period of their history, but Samson was different than the rest. Samson's very birth was miraculous in nature. Judges chapter 13, verses 2 and 3. And there was a certain, woke, a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. His wife was barren, and she bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren. But an angel came to her and said, Right now you are barren. And bearest not. And you do not have children. But thou shalt conceive and bear. But I'm telling you, that is all about to change. You're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. I submit to you tonight that Samson was the result of the miraculous touch of God upon his parents. They had no children until God performed a miracle. Samson was a miracle child from his birth. Hallelujah. Samson was not a man that God just sought out, that God chose to use like most of the other judges of Israel. But Samson was a man that God specifically brought into the world for such a time as he experienced. Hallelujah. His birth was miraculous. His life was one of separation unto God. Let's continue reading in Judges 13, verse 4. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine nor strong drink, and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. And so the angel told Manoah's wife, and later told Manoah, you can read the story. She goes running home to her husband. She said, a man of God, she didn't realize it was an angel. She said, a man of God has appeared to me, told me I'm going to have a child. The, 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 the man said, well, we need, a, we need some more instruction. I, I've got to know how to raise this child. And so they prayed and said, God, would you send this man back to us again and let him give us instruction as to what we need to do. And God hearkened to their cry, sent the angel back again and spoke not only to Manoah's 
wife but to Manoah himself and said the same thing again he's going to be a Nazarite and I want your wife to be careful I don't want her to eat anything or drink anything that comes off the vine I, I want you to know that before this child is even born not just from the time he's born but from the time he is conceived God's got his hand on him and he's going to do something special and he's going to go somewhere special and God's got a job for him to do it. If God's going to use him, he can't be like everybody else. Now, I'm going to tell you, I could very easily stop right here and preach a message. Because the sad fact of the matter is far too many Christians want to live like everybody else, but be treated differently by God. They want to blend in with the crowd in the eyes of men, but stand out in the eyes of God. And I'm telling you, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to have God use you, it's going to take consecration. It's going to take dedication. You're going to have to stand out from the rest of the crowd in order for God to do something special in your life. It's not a popular message. Much of the charismatic world wants us to believe everybody's special. Everybody has a gift. Everybody has a ministry. I submit to you that's not necessarily the case. But, but that's not my message tonight. Here was a person that was set apart from the time of his, actually before his conception. That God said, I'm going to use him. And then after he is born, the service that he provided to God and to the people of Israel was spiritually motivated. Let me show you in Judges 13 now, verse 25. This is obviously after his birth, after he has grown. Look at what verse 25 says. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtel. Now, the Spirit of the Lord began to move him, the King James says. Another translation says the Spirit of the Lord began to be with him. Another translation says the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. Another says the Spirit of the Lord began to strengthen him. And yet another says the Spirit of the Lord took control of him. Now, I'm going to tell you what I found interesting in all this. In all these translations, they all have a different idea of the best way to translate this. Uh, all of these were different from even the King James. And yet, when I began to look at the Hebrew word, there was not one of these that really conveyed the idea behind the Hebrew word here. Because it was more. Now, now the King James really comes closer than any of the others. But it doesn't really give us the real concept. And this is important. Because the Hebrew word that is translated here. That the spirit of the Lord began to move him. The Hebrew word literally means to thrust. To impel. To beat persistently. To disturb. To push. The Spirit of the Lord began to push him. Well, hallelujah. 
I'm telling you, this is the way that God used Samson. This is something I've never seen about this man until today. But, but let me show you. Just go with me for a few minutes. Judges chapter 14, verse 6. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Everyone say, came mightily. The Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And he rent him as he would have This is the lion. He rent him as he would a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. But he told not his father or his mother what he had done. All right, verse 19 of this same chapter, Judges 14 and 19. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Everyone say, Cain. All right, in, in verse 6, he came mightily upon him. In verse 19, he came upon him. Judges chapter 15, verse 14. And he went down to Ashkelon and slew 30 men of them and took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's All right, house. that's still chapter 14, 19. Let's go to the next one, 15, 14. And when he came unto Lehi, the, the Philistines shouted against him. And the Spirit of the and Lord, the came, Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. Now, I'm going to tell you that, that in, in uh, chapter 14, verse 6, it says it came mightily. In 14, 19, it just says it came upon him. 15, 14, it says it came mightily upon him. I'm going to tell you that in all three instances, it is the exact same Hebrew word. And, and the phrase came mightily or just came in 14, 19 is actually from a Hebrew word which means pushed. And the Spirit of the Lord pushed him. When the lion rose up, the Spirit of the Lord pushed him to fight the lion. When the Philistines needed to be defeated, the Spirit of the Lord pushed him to defeat them. Whatever was happening, the Spirit of the Lord pushed him into service. The, 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 the Spirit of God was constantly having to push him to do whatever God wanted done. Hear me, church. Hear me, church. The Spirit of the Lord had to push him into service. I believe, I believe that it was because of that that we get to this sad, sad uh, verse in chapter 16 and verse 20. Read it again. And she said, The Philistines be upon thee, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times before and shake myself. And he wist not that the Lord was departed from him. And he wist not. The word wist is from a Hebrew word that means to know, to perceive, to recognize. In fact, another version says he did not realize that the Lord had stopped helping him. Another says he was not conscious that the Lord had gone from him. And yet another says he didn't realize that God had abandoned him. I ask you tonight, how could someone reach such a, stand, a sad state of affairs to not even know that God is nowhere to be found? And yet his attitude was, I'm just going to keep on doing what I've always done and I'll still get results. God's nowhere to be found. God's not involved in what I'm doing. But he didn't even know it. He just went on about his business uh, without the help of God. I'm going to tell you what started my mind down this path. Early this morning, I was doing some reading. And I ran across a quote someone said. I tried to find the actual quote. I couldn't find it. So this is someone quoting the quote. So I can't 
give you the accuracy of it, but the accuracy of the quote is irrelevant. It's the concept of the quote that I want to deal with. Someone said that the late A.W. Tozer wrote, If the Holy Spirit withdrew from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Now, I'm going to tell you when I read that, something gripped my heart. I, th I thought, God, is that true of us? I wonder how much of what we do we're really not doing by the power of the Spirit. I wonder how much of what we do we've been doing by our own abilities, by our own talents, by our own wisdom, by our own logic. Hear me, church! I'm telling you, if there's ever been an hour that somebody needs to call the church to attention and say, we need the help of the Holy Ghost in this hour, now's the time! I really didn't even intend to get into this, but I'm going to say it tonight. Most of you are unaware. Thankfully, you're unaware. But most of you are unaware there is a battle raging in the apostolic church right now. Because prominent conservative men have decided to step to the forefront and start telling us that we have to re-examine things we have always stood for. And we need to determine really what the Bible says is right and what is just, you know, smart for today because tomorrow it may not be so smart after all. And we might have to make some real changes in the days and weeks ahead. Now, now listen, church, I'm not telling you we have to live like it's 1910. You understand what I'm saying to you. But I'm just telling you, I am worried about people who reach a place that they think human wisdom and human intellect and human logic is what's going to carry the church to revival in 2011. I'm going to tell you what's going to carry the church to revival in 2011. The same thing that carried the church to revival in 8030. I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the spirit of Almighty God. God, we gotta have a move of the Holy Ghost. I wonder, I wonder how much of what we're doing, we're doing by our own abilities. I wonder. If the Holy Ghost lifted off of this congregation, if we would just come back in here in the next service, sing the same songs, clap our hands the same way, make the same few laps, jump up and down, and not even know God's gone. I hope you're hearing not just my words tonight, but my heartbeat. I'm going to tell you there's a danger. And listen to me. We, we are no better than any other church group that's ever had a deep move of the Holy Ghost. And church after church that used to feel the power of God. That used to feel the presence of God. That used to lay in the floor for hours. Lost in the spirit. Have now gotten 
down to where everything is logged on their schedule. There's no room for God to move. There's no interest in God moving. They've got it all down pat. And honey, we are no exception. The same thing can happen right here if we don't learn to be sensitive to the touch of God. I got ready to leave my office tonight to come out here in the sanctuary. I prayed and said, God, I don't want to be like the man I'm preaching about. I don't want to reach a place that I can just get up here and preach. And I know when to put the emphasis on what. I know what will move the crowd. I know how to put a sermon together. I know how to put an outline together. I don't want to be what some men have coined as a preaching machine. I don't want that to be the case. I don't ever want to be able to get behind that pulpit and accomplish one thing. If God is not there. If the Holy Ghost is not using me. If the Holy Ghost is not speaking church there are men there are men that have been mightily used of God there are men who became elevated because they were such persuasive speakers they had such charisma in their presentation and they were elevated and they would get in and see results and then later folks would find out some of these very men would leave the pulpit and turn to alcohol or leave the pulpit and meet some woman that was not their wife in a motel room somewhere their lives were messed up but they could still get in the pulpit and move the crowd i'm going to tell you they're no different than samson samson had no clue that god wasn't anywhere around but he said i'm just going to get up and do what i've always done i'm going to tell you something if there is any theme for this for this year i i hope that you're seeing where i'm trying to get this church uh, to, to, to become aware of our need of a move of the spirit. I'm telling you church I don't want us going through the motions. I don't want us just doing things perfunctory. Amen. I don't want for our worship to become perfunctory. I don't want for anything we do to become mechanical. I don't want it to become habitual. But I want it to be because God's got his hand on us. Because God's doing something with us. Because God's doing something through us. And I want us to be sensitive enough to the spirit of God. Amen. That we know whether he He's here or not here. I wonder how much of what we do is the result of our own efforts, the result of our own talents, the result of our own logic, the result of our own decisions, rather than what the Spirit is directing us to do. I'm going to tell you it's dangerous church when we learn how to do it without God. Now, 
I pointed out to you, Samson had to be pushed. Every time God used him, I found it interesting that you read it and read up until the very last, but, but throughout his life, when you read that God used him, the spirit, King James said, came on him or came mightily on him. But the Hebrew said the spirit pushed him. There was a work that had to be done and the spirit pushed him to do it. But I want you to compare that to the man Christ Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1 says this. Then was Jesus led. Then was Jesus. What? Led up. What? Then was Jesus led. He wasn't pushed. The Spirit never had to push Jesus to do anything. Jesus was led of the Spirit. Let me tell you something. When you're being led of the Spirit, you don't go anywhere if the leader's not there. If you're having to be pushed, you eventually gain enough momentum, you can do it on your own. But if you're being led, you're not going to take a step without seeing the leader. Well, I'm preaching to this church tonight. I'm telling you, I, I, I want to know, do I have to preach to you about worship to get you to worship? Do I have to get up here and say, let's raise our hands. Come on, somebody worship God. Come on, somebody praise God. You know why? You're having to be pushed. Where are the people of God that can feel the tug of the Spirit that don't need somebody pushing them? Do I have to preach to you about fasting to get you to get rid of the plate for a few days? Do I have to preach to you about prayer to put you on your face? Do I have to preach to you about outreach to get you to knock on somebody's door? Push, 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 and push. I'm telling you what God's looking for. God's looking for people that don't have to be pushed. They can be led. You want me to prove it to you? Romans chapter 8. Verse 14. For as many as are led. As many as are. Wait a minute. As many as are. As many as are. Led. By the spirit of God. They are the sons. They. Oh let me tell you. I, I don't want. I don't want to ruin what I'm feeling in here. I was, I was driving down the road last night and I had my XM radio going and listening to southern gospel music and it's no secret that I like southern gospel music and um, I was listening to a song in fact what they were doing was the top I don't know how many top 20 or something for 2010 and 
They said this song had been so popular, it actually had hit the top 20 in 2009 and was still in the top 20 in 2010. It's a catchy little tune. And, and, and uh, you know, I, I know, I know some of you young people look at me as an old fogey when I talk about how much I enjoy quartet music. I, but I do. I, I love harmony. I love, I love that style of singing. I love that style of music. And, and, and so, you know, it would be easy. It's a catchy song and it's good harmony and, and it'd be easy to get caught up in the words. But when I got to listening to the words of the song, something in my stomach turned. The song said that when I got saved, Jesus locked the gates of hell behind me. Now, what the song is saying is, in fact, the song goes on to say that I will never go to that place. Now, my determination is I'll never go to that place. But I'm going to tell you that gates are not locked. And if I'm determined to go there, I can go there. If I don't want to do what God wants me to do, it doesn't matter whether I got saved or not. I can still end up in hell. I said that to say the most damnable doctrine ever foisted upon Christianity was once saved, always saved. Because it has caused people to think it doesn't matter how I live, it doesn't matter what I do, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, I can live like I want to, I can't go to hell now, no way, no how. I want to tell you something, honey, you better wake up and smell the coffee. I'm going to tell you, you could go to hell if you don't get your life right, if you don't do what's right. Bible does not teach once saved, always saved. So people say, well, see, I'm not really off the subject. People say, well, I'm a son of God because I accepted Christ. I'm a son of God because I'm a member of a church. I'm a son of God because I obeyed Acts 2.38. But that's not what Paul said. Paul said as many as are. You're going to tell me the Spirit's leading you into a bar room? Are you going to tell me the Spirit's leading you to that pornographic website? Are you going to tell me the Spirit's leading you to be hateful and mean and cruel and sharp-tongued? Is the Spirit leading you to gossip? Is the Spirit leading you to laziness? Come on, church. I know this is not popular, but I'm asking you a question. Are you really a son of God or aren't you? As many as are... This is New Testament. I'm not a legalist. Don't put me back in Old Testament law. This is New Testament. As many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Not everybody that has the Spirit is being led by the Spirit. say you're judging preacher I'm not judging anybody I'm telling you what the Bible says I didn't judge anybody I'm telling you what the Bible says if you got a problem with that statement take it up with the Apostle Paul he's the one that said it as many as are led not pushed 
It's not that some preacher's got to stand over you and say, quit doing this and quit doing that and change this and change that. It's not that some preacher has got to define for you every minute detail of what your life is supposed to be. And folks look at it and say, well, he didn't say. So I can get by with this. No, no, no. As many as are led by the Spirit. Let me ask you tonight, your worship in this service, was it led by the Spirit? Did you worship God because you knew it was expected? Did you worship God because you knew the preacher was watching? Or did you worship God because you felt something in the Holy Ghost? And you said, God, I want to follow your leading tonight. Listen, listen, listen. I want to destroy that legalism. You're thinking I'm trying to put people under. Galatians chapter 5 verse 18. Here's what he said. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. If you're led of the Spirit, you're not a legalist. I'm going to tell you there's a lot of apostolics that are legalists. A lot of apostolics that have to have it in black and white. This is what is expected of me and this is all I'm going to do. But you want to know where real freedom comes? Real freedom comes by being led of the Spirit. By developing such a prayer life and such a relationship with God that the Spirit can speak to you. Let me tell you, I've heard it over and over. I've heard men get up and testify. Some of the greatest revivals churches have ever experienced is because somebody in that church was led of the Spirit and suddenly went to a place they would not have gone, but the Holy Ghost directed them, and they found there a hungry heart that was seeking after God, and they led them to the truth, and they saw their lives changed. They took them to a place of repentance. They were baptized in Jesus' name. They received the gift of the Holy Ghost and that person set that church on fire but I'm going to tell you what it all started with somebody was led they weren't just out knocking doors randomly and we still need to do that they weren't just out handing out business cards and tracts to everybody they saw that's, and that's important but I'm telling you, sometimes you've got to be able to hear the voice of God when God says, no, take a left turn right here. Take a right turn here. There's somebody right there behind that door that's crying out for me. Isn't that the way the Apostle Paul was saved? Didn't God speak to Ananias? Didn't God speak to Saul of Tarsus? Didn't God put the two men together by leading them? I'm appealing to you tonight, church. I'm telling you, I don't want to be a Samson who's constantly got to be pushed. I, I don't want 2011 to be a year where I'm always having to push you, push you, push you. Come on, church, let's pray. Come on, church, let's worship. Come on, church, let's give. Come on, church, let's reach out. Come on. I don't want to have to do that. Now I'll do it if 
nothing else works but that's not really what God wants for your life God wants you to get to a place that the Holy Ghost starts leading you the Holy Ghost starts directing you the Holy Ghost starts governing your life Samson Samson lived a life that was so mechanical he was constantly pushed into service it was so mechanical that he never even really realized that God was in it I know what he told Delilah you cut my hair and I'll be like every other man but he didn't believe that he was producing a mechanical answer you want me to prove it? I'll prove it because when his hair was cut, he didn't wake up from that nap and think he still had his hair. He knew it was gone. But he said, I will shake myself. I will go out as at other times and shake myself. He knew his hair was gone. But he still thought he could do it. It had become so mechanical with him that he never realized God was behind it. And that's why he never knew God was gone. I'm going to tell you something, saints. If the Spirit, if your pastor has to always push you to pray, push you to fast, push you to reach out for the lost, push you to give. I'm telling you, if it's a constant push, the day's going to come when no push is going to be there. And you may just go through the motions and not even realize you've been doing it all along and you don't even know the Spirit's not around. You know, I thought of Isaac and Abraham as they trudged up that mountainside. Isaac looked around, Genesis 22 and verse 7, and here's what he said to his father. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father. My father. And he said, Here am I. He said, Here am I. And he said, Behold the fire. Behold. The fire and the wood. Behold the fire and the wood. Where's the lamb for a burnt offering? Now look, Isaac had been around enough to know something's missing. Something doesn't ring true about what we're about to do. Hello? Saints of God, hear me as I appeal to you tonight. I fear, I fear, I fear. He meant that some of you could get into a service where it's not even the Spirit of God moving and you don't even know the difference. You don't know if it's God or if it's not God. You don't know if this is emotionalism or if it's Holy Ghost. You don't know because your only response is what you're pushed to do. And so if you're in a service and it's not Holy Ghost, it's all hype. And somebody said, worship, worship. You're out there worshiping because you're used to being pushed. We were in a service just 
a few nights ago, our youth group was sitting with a youth group from another church. And my daughter came and told me what was said that night. These were, they were with young people from Brother Riley's church in Texas. And she said they, those young people started looking around and said, we need our pastor here. Something doesn't feel right. Something doesn't feel right. We need our pastor. I, I want to, I'm not feeling right about all this. And then finally they, they, they looked over, I think, to, to Amanda. And they said, where's your dad? He was raised in the same church as our pastor. Whatever he's doing, that's what our pastor would be doing. But you know what I said? Thank God there were some saints that had enough spiritual sensitivity to recognize something's not right in all of this. I'm not just going to go through the motions. I'm not just going to let somebody push me if it's not the right spirit. Hear me, saints of new life. We've got to become spiritual enough to know whether it's Holy Ghost or it's not Holy Ghost. we got to become spiritual enough that we are led by the Spirit of God, not pushed by somebody or something. Father, something doesn't feel right about this experience. I don't know. Something just doesn't feel right. Something's missing here. How many services have you walked in and said it just doesn't feel right? Have you ever done that? Or do you just walk in and go through the motions and never think about it? Hallelujah. I, I didn't give you this verse of scripture, but I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 5. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5, Paul said this, talking about what would happen in the last days. Having a form of godliness. He said they will have a form of godliness. But what? But denying the power thereof. Denying the power. Now hang on to that for just a minute. You spent many years working concrete. What are forms? You, 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 put it, you put it there to hold the concrete in, to shape it. And once that's finished, you remove the forms. But forms really are set up with the intent that something would fill them. And once the concrete sets, you don't need forms. You have substance. Paul said the day's coming that there are going to be people who have a form. They've got a form for their godliness. But they deny the 
the power. Get Acts 1 and 8. They deny the power. They have a form. They have a form. But they deny what? The power. Where does the power come from? Acts 1 and 8. But he shall you shall receive power, power. after, after that, that the Ghost has come upon listen this is and, and you call me what you want to call me say I'm being judgmental say whatever you want to say but I'm just going to tell you what we have come to in the United States of America is millions of churches that have nothing nothing besides form yes. there is no power they don't even teach Holy Ghost anymore. They don't even preach Holy Ghost anymore. They don't understand Holy Ghost anymore. But they've got their form. They've got their ritual. God, don't ever let us reach a place that we become, amen, so human, carnally minded, amen, that we lose the power of the Spirit. I'm going to tell you, intellect is not going to put a man on his face in repentance. Amen. Intellect is not going to transform the drug addict. Intellect is not going to save the prostitute. Intellect is not going to change the alcoholic. We need power. Just remain standing. Musicians come. Too many people are trying to live for God with a form. Well, this scripture says I need to do this, so I do it. Well, that's commendable. You need to obey the scripture. Do you know what sets us apart from the Jews of the Old Testament? Now, some people will tell you, well, they, they had to live righteous. We just accept Christ. No, 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 no. God still expects righteousness today. But the difference is, God said, back then I wrote it on tables of stone. But in this new covenant... I want to write my laws on your heart. He didn't say I'm going to get rid of my laws. In fact, Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law. I'm not come to destroy it. I'm come to fulfill it. He didn't say I'm going to eradicate the law. He said, I'm just going to take it off the tables of stone and I'm going to write it on your heart because what I want is not people that are being pushed Thou shalt not kill, because if I kill, they're going to put me to death. Thou shalt not commit adultery, because if I commit adultery, they're going to put me to death. They're being pushed. Just like some Christians today. Or if I do wrong, they're going to put me out of the church. You're being pushed. You know what God wants? God wants somebody that's got it written on their heart. Somebody that says, God, I'm not going to kill because... The Spirit doesn't lead me there. I'm not going to commit adultery because the Spirit doesn't lead me there. I'm not going to lie 
because the spirit doesn't lead me there it's not a matter of a written law on a table of stone it's a matter of a written law on the table of my heart I'm led by the spirit I'll tell you the missing dimension in so much of Christianity today is the power of the spirit and the missing dimension in many of our lives is that spiritual sensitivity that leads us to become what God wants us to be. Let's lift our hands and talk to him right now, can we? Come on, let's talk to the Lord.